Glad to have you tonight. Appreciate you being here. Uh, the last uh, stanza of that song is probably a fitting opening uh, to what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, as they sang and we sang with them, Almighty Infinite Father, faithfully loving your own, here in our weakness you find us falling before your throne. Do you ever feel like something is broken inside you? I'm not talking about brokenness. I'm referring to something that's not working correctly, something that needs to be fixed inside you. Maybe you can uh, identify uh, with that. There are things inside our bodies that cause conditions that we can't treat ourselves. We need help from an outside source. Sometimes we need an operation where somebody goes inside of us and, and does something to correct the problem. We're not only physical bodies as people, we're also spiritual people. All of us are broken to one degree or another. And I say this all the time, and I'll say it to you again tonight. I know when I come here on Sunday, if I was in my home church where I, I, I grew up with people and I can look at a lot of people my age and I can remember them and they remember me, and so I know if I were looking at them that I would be looking at a congregation of broken people wherever I go, I don't expect to see anything but broken people. And I know that because every day when I look in the mirror, I see a broken person looking back. That's the best way I know how to describe that. We're all broken to one degree or another. Every one of us has some area of our spiritual life that needs to be fixed. And so when I discover something that is broken in me spiritually, I often make the same mistake that I make with my physical body. I try to treat myself. You know, I think men are more notorious than that than women. We're unlikely to go to the doctor. We try to fix it ourselves, medicate ourselves. Uh, I become my own doctor. Uh, but it doesn't take me long to find out how inept I am at handling the problem. Sometimes I, I get sicker than I want to get because I'm a little stubborn and I won't go to the doctor. And inevitably, I have to go to somebody and they'll say, well, here is the problem. This is the problem that needs to be fixed, and this is how we're going to address it. But I find the same ineptness when I try to handle my own spiritual problems. Spiritually, there are no medications to take to fix what's broken. There's no plan of self-help that anybody can offer that will correct the problem. We need the help of the physician of our souls. A work needs to be done inside us that we can't do ourselves. So to help the physical body, what the doctor does is he goes to medical school and he studies for a lot of years from books, but not only from books, he also learns from hands-on experience and later they go into practice for themselves and sometimes even become proficient at diagnosing and treating and sometimes surgically, surgically correcting the human body. But, but no physician at any time can feel your pain. Uh, at no time can he or she understand how weak you are, how broken you are, or, or how hard it is for you in your illness. Perhaps a doctor who's had his appendix, his appendix taken out knows the pain of appendicitis and the soreness that follows the surgery. However, at no time does a physician become you. 
in, order, in an effort to treat you. At no time does a doctor who treats cancer take on cancer that he might better understand it. At no time does a, a doctor who treats heart patients himself take on heart disease that he might feel their pain and better understand their suffering. But that is exactly what the physician of our souls did to help us. The Bible tells us that he took on flesh and blood. He became us. He walked the road of our suffering and sorrow. He bore the brunt of our temptation and trials. And he did that, that he might become the captain of our salvation, our one and only Savior. So tonight what I'd like to do uh, is take a group of verses from the book of Hebrews that I hope will give you a fresh understanding of what our Lord has done for us and not only what he has done, but what he can do. This is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. You see the title of the message on the screen. If you caught it, it said, Lord Jesus, lay hold of me. And the picture you might have there, as you should, is of Peter in the storm at sea when he walked on the water to go to Jesus and he sank. And you say, well, what does Peter have to do with the book of Hebrews? Well, just hold on. Just hold on. Because this picture on the screen might be you. And this might be exactly the help that you need. Now from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. It says, depending on what translation you have, and there's, a, there's an issue here with translating the words uh, because... It's hard to sometimes put words into English, words that are pictures more than anything else. And here we have some words that are pictures. And it says here, For he assuredly does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now, angels were created by God. Some of those angels sinned. We know that. We read that in Scripture uh, the circumstances are unknown to us, but we know that those angels were given no opportunity for salvation. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, that God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. That's a passage that we'll look at on a later day. But this, this brings out a unique significance to this 16th verse. He does not give help to angels, but he does give help to the descendant of Abraham. Now, I'm not an expert in the translation of Greek words, but I do know that if you look at the if you look in various English translations, the word helps is probably not the best word to use to translate the picture that the writer of Hebrews is trying to give. In fact, of the 18 times this word is found in the New Testament, this is the only time 
It's translated this way as helps. The first time it's found in Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. And it's used in reference to Peter. When Peter is sinking into the water in the Sea of Galilee, uh, and it says in Matthew 14, 30 and 31, But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. He took hold of him. So every other time this word is used in the New Testament, this word that's translated helps in the book of Hebrews, he doesn't help angels, he helps the descendants of Abraham. Every other time it's used, except in the book of Hebrews, it's translated to lay hold of. Somebody laying hold of something or someone in a way as either to arrest them or to rescue them. The same word is used in Luke chapter 23, verse 26, uh, in, in reference to Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene, who just happened to be coming up at the time, they were, they were carrying Jesus out of Jerusalem on the way to Calvary to crucify him. And they laid hold of him. And they said, you carry his cross. They weren't helping him in terms of that, but they did take hold of him. And this is what the word means. It takes hold of him. So we're going to read Hebrews 2.16 again and read it with a different translation. And you'll see, if you, depending on which English translation you have, you may have it translated lay hold of or take hold of. It says, for assuredly he does not lay hold of angels, but he lays hold of of the descendant of Abraham. Well, what difference does the translation make? Well, it gives the proper force and emphasis to the activity of our Lord. Jesus wasn't just helping Peter when he sank. Uh, he didn't just say, hey, hey, Peter, here's a floaty. He wasn't throwing Jesus a floaty. What Peter needed was not a floaty. Peter needed a hand. He needed somebody to lay hold of him and rescue him. When Simon of Cyrene, uh, he, he was not just saying, hey, come over here and help carry this cross. They laid hold of him. They arrested him and made him do that. When someone lays hold of you in that fashion, it makes a dramatic difference. Therefore, when I saw the meaning of this verse, it caused me to cry out in my own heart, and it ought to cause you to cry out in your own heart, in your weakness, as you fall before his throne, in your brokenness to say, Lord Jesus, lay hold of me. Take hold of me and help me. There may be some area of your life where you find a particular brokenness and a, a particular inability to help yourself or to do anything about the spiritual sickness that you have in your life. But you see the scripture here, in order to lay hold of me, what the Bible tells us is he had to become like me. He had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Now, there are two distinct sides of this verse. He had to become like us in all things. That means he had to become susceptible to sickness and death. He had to become susceptible to sin and suffering. He had to become susceptible to sorrow. The physician of our souls became us. That's outlined very clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, where Paul said, For what the law could not do 
weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He became us that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. So you know the role of the high priest in the Old Testament. It was to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And he understood those sins because he was a sinner himself. He could be a merciful high priest because he was one of us. You know, I've, I tell people all the time, I've never had anybody, and I've had some people tell me some, some terrible things. I had a man call me on the phone. I don't know where he was from. I don't know who he was. He told me he was traveling down the road, but he just needed to talk to a pastor on the phone. I don't know why he called me, but he called me. We had a conversation about some things that he was involved in that were sinful. And uh, I remembered another conversation that I had with another man that I do know. And he told me some things that he had done that were very sinful, that he was very broken about. And I was broken with him. I, I felt sorry for him. I, I hurt for him. I was able to be merciful because I think I thought when he said, told me what he did there, but by the grace of God, go I. So the Old Testament priest could be a merciful high priest. He was that. We can say that because he understood the sins of the people because he was a sinner. The problem is, and it's still a problem today, he couldn't be a faithful high priest because he was broken just like everybody else. But by virtue of the fact that Jesus became one of us, and according to Hebrews 4.15, he says, We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can be both merciful and faithful. He's merciful. He understands us. But he's faithful. And so that means he can also help us with our problem. He can come to our rescue when we cry out and say, Lord, I need a little help here. I need more than a flotation device. I need somebody to pluck me up out of this mess that I'm in. I need somebody to rescue me. Lord Jesus, lay hold of me. Now, of course, the role of the high priest was also in the Old Testament was to offer sacrifices to satisfy the justice of God. The sacrifice that he offered all of those sacrifices only brought temporary satisfaction to God's justice. But as our high priest, Jesus not only offers the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice, and he brings permanent satisfaction to the justice of God. So positionally, positionally speaking, as we talked about in the book of Romans, I don't have any problem before the bar of God's justice. My sins have been paid for. Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. That's an established fact. That sacrifice on the cross took place once and for all. Positionally, I don't have a problem before the bar of God's justice. But practically speaking, here's the problem. There's still a lot broken in me. I, can, I confess that to you today. There's still, and I, I, I rediscover that on a weekly, sometimes a daily basis. Don't you discover that about yourself? There's still a lot broken in you. There, like Peter, there are times when I can walk on the water of my circumstances. And then, like Peter, I find myself sinking in my circumstances. 
Like Peter, there are times when I'm so bold that I could whip out a sword and cut off somebody's ear for Jesus. And like Peter, there are other times that I find myself tending to warm myself by the fires of the world. Like Peter, there are times when my faith is like a rock and I can proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And there are other days that when before the rooster crows, I've denied Him many times. Something is broken inside me that causes me to struggle when I'm tempted uh, to sin or tested by sorrow or suffering. Is it not so with you? So that there are times when I need to cry out, just like Peter did, Lord Jesus, lay hold of me. Well, the good news here in the book of Hebrews, it says he doesn't give that kind of help to angels. You know, uh, angels can't say his mercy is new every morning. That's found in the book of Lamentations. When everything had fallen apart, Jeremiah, that's all he could walk around and think. Lord, everything's in pieces here, but thank God your mercy's new every morning. Angels can't say that. He doesn't give angels that kind of help. But he does give that help to the descendant of Abraham because he understands what it's like for us to struggle. And so in verse 18 it says, And since he was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The word translated come to the aid is used only eight times in the New Testament. Now I'm fascinated with all this. This may not fascinate you, but I'm fascinated with the way words are used and how they're used and sometimes how they're not used. And I just want to show you the first time it's used. Come to the aid of. He's able to come to the aid of. It's used by a mother who had come in behalf of her daughter. Something was broken inside her daughter. And although she was not a Jew herself, she recognized that her daughter's affliction had its source in the devil, and she also recognized that Jesus was the only one who could help her. And so in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, she began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And you know, Jesus engaged the woman in conversation, initially indicating that it looked like that he was not sent to help her. He said, I, you know, I don't, it's not good to cast a children's bread to dogs. Um, we won't go into all the reasons why he said that, but she continued to plead with him. She came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me, help me. I'm in this situation and I, I just need, I need help. I need somebody to come to my rescue. I need somebody to come to my aid. And so here is where this word is used. It was as, she, as if she was saying, Lord Jesus, lay hold of my daughter. Lay hold of my situation. Lord, there's something broken in her that's beyond my power and it's caused brokenness in me that's beyond my ability to correct. Lord, it's like, I guess, you know, it's like the old Jerry Clower story when he, uh, they were hunting, I guess, and hunting coons and he would say, knock him out, John, knock him out, John, to try to get the coon out of the tree. And then he found out he didn't have a coon up there. He had a, a, a wildcat or something up there with him. And he said, John, just shoot up in here amongst us because one of us have got to have some relief. That's what she's crying out for. God, I've got to finally have some relief. Has it ever been so in your life, in your spiritual journey, when you say, Lord, I really need help here now. 
I've struggled with this long enough. And Lord, I just need you to help me. Lord Jesus, lay hold of me. Like Peter in the water, reaching up his hand. I love that picture. Jesus reaching out and grabbing Peter, ready to help him, ready to save him. Not just to give him a little help, but to pull him out and carry him safely back to the boat. And he did that because of her faith. And he said that Jesus helped the woman because of her faith. He said, I've not seen faith so great in Israel. The second time this is ex expression is used is in the case of the father who had the boy, which we looked at a several weeks ago, who was possessed by a demon that caused him to have seizures. And the father cried out to Jesus and said in Mark chapter 9, verse 22, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The word means come to our aid. Come to our rescue. It's one of those few times it's used in all the New Testament. We need help from outside ourselves. And Jesus said, if you believe all things are possible to the one who believes. Then the father, realizing that even his own faith was broken, used that same expression again. Realizing that his own faith was broken, he said, Lord, I believe. Come to the aid of my unbelief. Come to the aid of my broken faith. Rescue me from my doubt and my unbelief and help us. And we go back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. It says, For assuredly, he does not lay hold of angels, but he does lay hold of the descendant of Abraham. That means only Jews, right? He only helps Jews. No, that's not what it means at all. Because the descendant of Abraham is a person who's come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, you become a descendant of Abraham when you have faith. So here's the question. Can, can Jesus help you in your circumstances? Whatever the problem is in your life, whatever the situation is that you're facing, what, whatever, the, whatever the spiritual struggle is in your life that has created brokenness inside you, can Jesus help you with that? Can he help you? Uh, as you face the pressure to conform to the world? Can, can he help you in your struggle against temptation? Can he help you as you struggle in the throes of sorrow? Yes, he is able to help you. And so what do you do? Well, you cry out to the physician of your souls. You tell him there's something broken inside you that you can't fix, and you need a remedy. You need a rescue. You lift up your hand and say, Lord, here I am. Help me, lay hold of me, pick me up, pull me up. Jesus is a merciful high priest. He understands where you are. Look, I'm going to tell you this. I'm just going to be honest with you. As some of these people talk to me down through these, I've had people tell me terrible things. I've had them come to me and, and tell me, terrible things that they've done, terrible sins that they've committed. I've had to look at my children, my own children, after they've done some terrible things. And nobody's ever come to me, including my own children, and told me anything that they had done that made me love them less. It made me love them more. I think about one man in particular, one Man, and I can't tell you because I pledged to him I would never tell a soul, and I have never told a soul, even my wife. My wife does not know the story. But I pledged to him, I said, Brother, you will never, I will never tell one soul what you've told me. 
And every time I see him, and he's not in this community, he doesn't live here, and he didn't live in the last community, so you can't trace it back. He knows that I love him, and I do love him. I tell you that to, show, to tell you that I am a merciful pastor. But that doesn't say anything about me because I'm also a broken pastor, just like he was broken. That's one of the reasons I could be merciful. I'm broken just like you're broken. But I tell you that to tell you this. There's nothing that you have done that's going to make Jesus not love you. And if you come to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, this is how I failed and this is how I've fallen and this is where I am and I'm sunk down so deep, I don't even know if you want to help me if you reach up your hand and say, Lord Jesus, lay hold of me. He will help you just like he helped Peter if you put your faith in him, if your trust is in him. All of us find ourselves from time to time in a situation like that where we're sinking in sin or sinking in circumstances or sinking in our sorrow. And we need somebody to pluck us up. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we read the passage where the man was in the mire and he said, Lord, I need out. Would you just get me out? And then David gave the testimony. I waited patiently to, on the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He took me out of the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. He'll do the same for me. He'll do the same for you. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us? Here in our weakness, you find us falling before your throne, saying, Lord Jesus, take hold of me. Help me. This is the promise that you've given us, that you will come to our aid when we are tempted, when we are tested, when we're under trial. So, Lord, I pray that tonight, as we exercise our faith in your faithfulness and in your promise, your activity would be displayed in, in the lives of those who need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you